I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Podcasts. This episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and scenes of genocide. Listener's discretion is advised. So it's the winter of 1964, and Mio is in Brazil looking for the butcher. He's building up his cover talking to people in the tourist industry, and getting ready to meet Herbert Zuckers in person. But before we get to that meeting, I want to tell you about another Nazi hunting mission going on at the same time, halfway around the world. It has a few parallels with Mio's operation, and it had an ending that sent a warning to the entire agency. Mossad had sent an agent to Damascus to spy on the Syrians. His name was Eli Cohen, and like Mio, he was undercover. He was posing as an Arab businessman, and he'd made friends with people high in the Syrian government. And like Mio, he'd gone solo. No backup team, no protection. Undercover, Eli Cohen climbed to the top of Syrian society and was even interviewed on a popular Arabic radio show. Cohen's main mission was simply to find out what serious leaders, and especially its military, were up to. Were they thinking of war with Israel? 
Were they building up their forces? Were they planning sabotage? But he had a sideline too. Dozens of Nazis had fled to Syria after the war. Cohen was hoping to find out where they were and eliminate them. At one point, he located a guy named Walter Rauf, who'd helped develop the mobile gas vans that had killed hundreds of thousands of Jews. He sent a letter bomb to Rauf, wounding the ex-Nazi. Ellie Cohen was probably the only other Mossad agent, besides Mio, working in the field to find Nazis. But Cohen's luck turned bad. Around 7 a.m. one morning, military policemen broke into his Damascus apartment and found the agent sitting on his bed, tapping out a message to Mossad on a miniature transmitter. Cohen managed to throw a bottle of acid on the code sheets that he used to communicate with his handlers, but he was quickly arrested. Months later, he would be brought into the central square in Damascus in front of thousands of spectators and hung. This was all going on at the same time as Mio's mission. Cohen's arrest inevitably influenced our mood, Mio remembered. It was a grim reminder of what could happen to him if he took the wrong step and his true identity was revealed. If Mio wasn't careful, he would become the target, hunted down in a place far from any help. On his fifth day in Sao Paulo, Mio drove to the marina in the Interlagos neighborhood. In his pocket, he had the letter of introduction he'd gotten from the company director. As soon as he arrived, Mio went to see the guy who ran the marina. I was a real pest and bombarded him with endless questions. Mio didn't care about the answers. He just wanted to impress on the manager how ambitious he was. This Austrian businessman was going to spend a lot of money in Brazil. He was very patient, and uh, I achieved my goal. He would remember me very well. After the meeting, Mio wandered down to the docks. He pretended to be relaxing after a day of business. He spotted a bunch of rental boats tied up to one of the piers that jutted out into the lake, and next to it, a battered seaplane. It was a sign that Mio might have found the right place. Herbert Zucker's was obsessed with aircraft. He'd built them all his life. Next to the dock was a restaurant with a thatched roof. Mio strolled over, sat at a table, and ordered a cold drink. As he sipped it, he kept an eye on the pier, looking for signs of the butcher. Mio watched the little ticket office at the boat rental business. He spotted a young man working on the boats next to it. Mio thought it might be one of the butcher's sons. He was tempted to finish his drink, stroll down to the dock, and strike up a conversation with the young man. Maybe the guy could tell him where Zucker's was. Maybe the butcher himself would show up. But anything that could make him look too eager to meet Zucker's, that was to be avoided. Their meeting had to look casual, as if it had been a coincidence. Zucker's was looking for Mossad operatives. Don't give him a reason to think you're one. I must be careful not to be too noticeable, I thought. Zuckers has been on the run for many years now, and there was no reason to jeopardize the operation because of undue haste. I could come back on Saturday, and uh, blending in with the general activity, get even closer to the target. For now, this was enough.
I'm Stephen Talty, and this is Good Assassins, Hunting the Butcher. Many former Nazis were deserting Europe in droves and moving to the safety of South America. So if the first part was to find a Nazi and bring him for a trial, the second part was to find a Nazi and kill him. We must thwart this shameful process. The end of a trail of blood and horror. The end of a man whose name will be written in infamy. Episode 4. Acquiring the Target. The next day, Mio was back. The marina was packed with Brazilians enjoying the sun. Mio, who wasn't the water skiing type, went back to the restaurant and ordered a plate of oysters. After finishing them, he walked down the ramp to the docks, looking like, as he later said, A middle-aged man with a pot belly who had just consumed a dozen juicy oysters and was uh, taking a stroll to aid his digestion. He went up to the marina's little office. A young woman was at the register that morning. He began talking to her, asking her questions about the tourist business in the area. He spoke in English with a German accent. The young woman told him he could speak German to her. She was from Dresden, the city the Allies had bombed during the war. She didn't know anything about the tourist business, but said that he could speak to someone else. Do you see this tall man with the white hair, she asked, and she pointed to the dock, where a man was busy tying up a seaplane to a pole. He's much more knowledgeable about such things than I am. Talk to him. I'm sure he'll be helpful. Mio turned and saw a broad-shouldered older man, powerfully built, working on the dock. He had white hair and the same thick Buddy Holly glasses that Mio had seen in the surveillance photos. He looked like a former athlete. He had a certain swagger in the way he moved. It had to be Zucker's. Mio walked over to the man and said good day in German. Zuckers turned and inspected him from head to toe. Mio spoke up. My name is Anton Kunzler. I am a businessman. The friendly young lady at the ticket booth referred me to you. I'm interested in the tourist trade here, and she, she told me you're an expert on the subject. Zuckers didn't react well. It was a Saturday, he was busy, he needed to make some money, and here was this stranger asking these detailed questions. He brushed Mio off. The spy had to change his pitch quickly, or Zuckers would lose interest. Mio looked at the seaplane bobbing on the waves. Got an idea. He told Zuckers he'd like to take a flying tour over the city. That way, the butcher could earn some money and Mio could study him up close. The older man agreed immediately. My name is Zuckers. Please, board the plane. And that was it. Confirmation. This was indeed the butcher of Latvia. His attitude had changed completely. He was much friendlier now. Mio took note. He stepped into the plane. It was a small cockpit designed for only two people. Zuckers got in and took the pilot's seat. Mio could tell immediately that the aviator was an expert. He lived, loved, and breathed airplanes, Mio thought. The tour over the city took about 20 minutes, with Zuckers pointing out different landmarks. The engine was so loud that Mio could barely hear above it, but he pretended to be deeply interested in what Zuckers had to say. If Anton Kunzler was going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in the area, 
He had to look like he was fascinated by every detail. After they landed, Sukers extended an invitation for a quick drink. He asked Mio onto his boat. They climbed aboard, and Sukers brought out some brandy. They clinked glasses and drank. In the little cabin, Mio studied this man. He was a huge guy. Mio would talk about this again and again in later years. Sukers looked like a bodybuilder with muscled arms and a broad chest. Mio tried not to focus on the stories he'd heard about what the butcher had done during the war. He had to remain objective in character. Anton Kunzla had no idea who Herbert Zuckers was. Before they could talk business, Zuckers stared at Mio. I'm accused of being a war criminal. Me, a war criminal? After I saved the life of a Jewish girl and protected her during the whole war. He waited for my reaction. I remained impassive. Mio said nothing to this, but his mind was going a million miles an hour. Why was Zuckers bringing this up? They'd only just met an hour ago. Was it a test? He guessed that Zuckers wanted to get an idea of Kunz's views on the war and the Holocaust. If he was too sympathetic to the Jews, Zuckers might think he was a Jew himself. If Mio overdid it and defended the Nazis, it might seem over the top. A transparent move designed to appeal to an accused war criminal. <laughs> to this day, I cannot comprehend what made him think this was a good tactic. Uh, perhaps he thought uh, I was a former Nazi looking for a safe haven. Many former Nazis were deserting Europe in droves and moving to the safety of South America. But Mio kept quiet. He just said nothing. When he didn't answer, Zuckers tried a different tack. He asked Mio if he'd served during the war. Mio told him yes, and Zuckers asked where he'd been stationed. Yeah, so a former officer from another intelligence service early on in my career said to me, Chris, rule number one, rule number one is you always, always have to prepare. You never improvise. That's Colonel Chris Costa. He's a former U.S. Army intelligence officer, senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council, and currently the executive director of the International Spy Museum. Rule number two is always be prepared to improvise, right? They seem inconsistent, but he was right. He had a lot of wisdom. Zuckers had served in Latvia and Western Russia. He'd fought partisans and Soviet soldiers from 1942 onward. Maybe he was trying to see if Mia was a fake by asking him some questions about weapons, battles, who knew? Mio had to say something, and fast. I served on the Russian front, he told Zuckers, and then, without even thinking, Mio unbuttoned his shirt and pulled it open to reveal a scar that ran across his chest. It looked like the result of a serious bullet wound, perhaps some shrapnel. Zuckers stared at it. He seemed impressed. He asked another question about which rank Mio held during the war. But after that, the conversation turned to business. Zuckers relaxed. Mio had clearly passed some kind of test. Again, Chris Costa. You prepare meticulously not to unbutton your shirt and show somebody a scar. But when it happens in the moment and you're in your cover, you have to be able to think on your feet. Your survival depends on it. So the best officers are 
in a role, but they're living and breathing that role. Cover is the very air that you breathe. The scar on his chest, Mia would later reveal, wasn't a war wound at all. It was the result of a minor operation in Israel to remove an abscess. Mio hadn't been wounded during the war, and he'd had no idea that he was going to undo the buttons until after he did it. It was like this character, Anton Kunzla, had taken over and told the story of his war experiences without Mio even realizing it. The Mossad agent was deep in the role. He didn't have to make these things up. Like any good actor, he was improvising in the moment. Mio told Zuckers that he and his partners were thinking of investing heavily in Brazil. Zuckers got the hint. If they were going to pour money into Sao Paulo, they would need a local contact who knew the lay of the land and spoke the language. Mio never actually said it, but he could see that Zuckers sensed an opportunity. Maybe there was money to be made here. After an hour, the two stood up and headed back to the dock. On the way, Zuckers asked Mio to come to his house, which wasn't far away, to meet his family. It was a good sign. Maybe Zuckers had begun just a little bit to trust him. But Mio was cautious. He couldn't appear to be chasing the butcher. He thought about it for a minute and told Zuckers he had business in other parts of the country. He would be gone for a week. When he came back, if he had time to spare, he would call. It was the best he could do. They shook hands on it. Mio walked away, got in his rented VW Beetle, and left. When he reached the hotel, he wrote a report and sent it to Arrive in Paris. Made contact with the late one. I carry on. Anton. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then, HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. As Mia was making contact with Zuckers in Brazil, on the other side of the Atlantic, in Germany, a car was driving along the Audubon. Inside was a man named Tuvia Friedman. Friedman was headed to the German capital for a meeting with the justice minister. He had a presentation to give, and if he succeeded with it, it would make Mio's mission completely pointless. Tuvia Friedman was a Nazi hunter. In fact, Friedman was considered one of the two leading Nazi hunters in the world, second only to the more famous activist Simon Wiesenthal. What was my main goal? My main goal was to fight against the Nazi murderers who has really been murderers of hundreds of thousands, to abolish the statute of limitation in Germany, to let the Nazi murderers be in prison or to arrest them till the, the end of their life. Friedman had grown up in a small city in eastern Poland, a place called Radom. He and his family had watched the Nazis arrive. The Germans soon put them into a ghetto. Just 17 when the war started, Friedman saw Jews being murdered around him. His father starved himself to death so that his children would have more to eat. Friedman's younger brother, Herschel, and his sister, Itka, who was his favorite, were taken away to concentration camps. And Friedman himself was transported to a subcamp of Auschwitz. In 1944, Friedman and four other inmates escaped into the Polish countryside. They were nearly starving and began digging the dirt for potatoes. The farm's owner spotted them. The other escapees wanted to run, but Friedman told them to wait. He walked toward the farmer and began shouting at him. Listen, you bastard. Forget you ever saw us, understand? If you open your mouth, our men will burn your whole goddamned village down to the last stick of wood. Tuvia Friedman was tough. He didn't mind confrontation. In fact, he sought it out. Friedman survived the Holocaust by the sheer ferocity of his will. But his parents, along with Herschel and Ica, didn't survive. After the war... Many survivors chose to move forward, to emigrate to new countries, go back to school, get married, have children. Friedman, though, was different. He couldn't move on. He wanted to find the people who'd killed his family and see that they were punished. In the chaos of the post-war period, 
Tuvia Friedman hunted down German killers. His specialty was Gestapo officers and SS men. If he saw one of their black uniforms, he would be filled with a rage that sometimes drove him to extremes. He would beat them, sometimes kill them. He was a Jewish avenger, the real thing. Other Nazi hunters never physically put their hands on their enemies. Friedman did. One time, just after the war, Friedman was walking down the street in Vienna when he heard someone shouting his name. It was an old friend from his hometown who had somehow escaped the death camps. They got to talking, and his friend mentioned this SS man who'd killed thousands of Jews in Radom. His name was Buchmeier. One of Buchmeier's favorite things had been to rush into the camp where Jews were held and beat them with a club he carried by his side. Friedman had watched him execute many people this way. Buchmeier had also pulled a group of Jewish children from the camp and had them shot on a street just outside. Now Friedman's friend was telling him that he'd seen Buchmeier right there in Vienna. In fact, he discovered Buchmeier owned a butcher shop in the city. Friedman immediately went to the shop, pretending to be an old friend of the SS man. He questioned a worker and found out that Buchmeier was actually being held in an American POW camp miles away. Without anyone to identify him and to tell the Americans about the atrocities he committed, there was a good chance Buchmeier would go free. He'd get away with it. Friedman went to the camp. He got in to see the American commander. He told him about Buchmeier's crimes and asked to be put inside the camp, disguised as a German prisoner. The commander told him there were 10,000 prisoners inside. How was he going to tell which one was the SS killer? Friedman assured him this wouldn't be a problem. The man's face was burned into his memory. Friedman was given an old SS jacket and a prisoner's uniform and taken inside the camp, as if he'd just been captured. He made friends with a German soldier there. Together they had lunch. As he was washing up after the meal, he saw a man approaching, whistling. It was Buchmeier. Friedman turned his face away, then followed Buchmeier from the cafeteria. Then he went to talk to the American commander. Buchmeier was pulled out of his barracks and brought to the major's office, where some American officers were waiting with the Nazi hunter. Friedman wrote this in his memoir. I stood up and said to the prisoner, But Buchmeier, how could you forget me? We were in Radom together. Oh, in Radom, he asked. Were you in the SS too? No, I was not, I replied. I was one of the Jews who worked under you, Buchmeier. The man's face turned white. Don't you remember? You used to love to run around with a heavy club, beating us until the blood covered our entire bodies. You even had nurses with you who used to bandage us up so you could beat us again later. His lips trembling, Buchmeier said to me, but I wasn't the worst one, was I? The Americans threw Buchmeier into solitary confinement. From there, he was sent back to Poland, put on trial, convicted, and sentenced to 12 years, which he served under the brutal Soviet occupation. His chance of escaping justice and returning to his comfortable life at the butcher shop was gone. 
for the rest of his life, he was known as a Nazi murderer and war criminal. In his early 20s, Tuvia Friedman took a position in a Polish intelligence unit in the city of Danzig, becoming one of the first official Jewish Nazi hunters. He interrogated German troops, sorting out the Nazi party members from the regular soldiers and delivering them to prison. He also went to investigate crime scenes. Once he went to check out a building on the outskirts of Danzig, where Nazis had reportedly held Jewish prisoners. Friedman wrote, One room was filled with naked corpses. Another room was filled with boards on which were stretched human skins. Nearby was a smaller building with a heavy padlock. We broke in. There was an oven in the corner and lumps of something on the floor. We realized that Germans had been using the room to melt down human fat cut from their victims to make soap. Part of Friedman's job was interviewing former Nazis and sending some of them to jail. When they wouldn't answer his questions or when they lied to him, he got violent. He punched them, drew blood, broke some bones. He wanted to know the truth. And if they refused to give it to him, he was unmerciful. In fact, that's what his fellow investigators started calling him, the merciless one. So for the 20 years since the war ended, Friedman had been hunting Nazis. He'd amassed thousands of files on potential suspects. But in 1964, the German government was less and less interested in pursuing them. Public opinion had turned against the trials of former Nazis. The U.S. and England now needed Germany as an ally against the Soviet Union. The Cold War was underway, and Germany's friends didn't want to press it too hard on the Nazi issue. Friedman's obsession, however, only grew. He moved to Israel, but kept looking for escaped mass killers. Even his wife was growing tired of his work all the talk about Nazis and genocide and the rest of it. He made almost no money, and so she was forced to be the sole support for their family. Finally, she lashed out at him, telling him that he was ruining their lives with this compulsion of his. Again, from Friedman's memoir. I said nothing. I was 37 years old and defeated. I felt that my life was a mockery, even a farce. I had come to the end of the road. Ahead, a sheer, unscalable mountain confronted me. I was alone. But he couldn't give up. Freeman had learned about the statute of limitations for Nazi war criminals, and he was angry, frustrated. An amnesty, that was unthinkable. He had to do something. He decided to fly to Germany and meet with the justice minister, whose name was Ewald Bucher, to see if he could convince Bucher to come out against the statue. I had come to the conclusion that it was useless for me to spend these last years searching for 20 or 30 Nazis, while the statute of limitations, if it were to go into effect, 
would permit hundreds of them to come out of their hiding and again swagger into the beer cellars beyond the arm of the law. I could just imagine them, a beer stein in their fists, laughing and drinking and boasting to each other of their exploits in killing Jews. So Friedman had come to Germany. The place made him nervous. He'd seen too much hatred and death there. The night before the meeting, he and his friend went out to have something to eat and try to relax. A German man at the restaurant nodded to them and sat at their table. He was half drunk and he began talking about the war. Friedman recalled the interaction in a book he wrote about the Statue of Limitations. Then everything was bombed and ruined. Now you can see the difference. You see the German people, how we have reconstructed everything thoroughly. We Germans do everything thoroughly. The man toasted them and drank his beer. Something about the German's manner bothered Friedman. Are the Germans so thorough at murder as well? The man stared at Friedman, his look hard and energetic. Oh yes, of course. We can murder thoroughly as well. Take the Jews, for example, how we murdered them throughout Europe. We only have to get the order, and we do it. Friedman was depressed, but not shocked. At least the man was being honest. He believed what the Germans said, and it made him even more determined to stop the amnesty. If genocide was forgiven, he believed, it would happen again. At the meeting the next day, the justice minister and his aide were very kind. They listened intently as Friedman told his story. I told them how these SS men made sudden raids in the early mornings, drove the people out of their beds and homes to the central square, how they threw out infants from the windows of their homes and bayoneted the young mothers who tried to save their children. The assistant pulled out his kerchief from his breast pocket and started wiping the tears that were filling his eyes, unable to hold back his emotions as I myself seemed to reach an ecstasy, as though I was back in the ghetto of Radom and was going through all the horrors again. The justice minister sitting opposite me repeated several times, terrible, Herr Friedman, that is really terrible. The minister was called away. While he was gone, his assistant leaned over to Friedman, told him the minister was on his side. He, too, favored the cancellation of the statute. He wanted Nazi killers hunted down and brought to trial. Friedman was pleasantly surprised. It seemed he had an ally within the German government. It was wonderful to hear. The meeting finished, and Friedman flew back to Israel. He was optimistic. If the justice minister was on his side, he had a chance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Back in Sao Paulo, Mio booked a flight to the Brazilian capital, Brasilia. He told Zuckers he had to visit other parts of Brazil for work, so he jumped on the plane and went. Anything he told Zuckers, he actually had to do. It was his nature. He couldn't fake it. He flew to Brasilia and nearly ran into an Israeli diplomat, a man he knew from back home. If the man had spotted him, Mio's cover would have been blown. This was all I needed. Israel's ambassador to Brazil approaching me, Anton Kunze, respectable Austrian businessman, just outside the lobby of the most luxurious hotel in Brasilia, calling out, Oh, what a surprise! How are things? What are you doing here? On your own, or is the wife with you? Well, it happens sometimes, for example, uh, it's also happened to me that I, I landed in Paris and uh, I saw my neighbor there and I ignored him. And when he came back to Israel, he told my mom that we met in Paris and I didn't even say hello to him. <laughs> okay? That's Omner Avraham. He's the former Mossad agent 
who has also become something of an historian of the agency. And according to Abraham, every agent dreads running into someone from their real life while they're on a mission. But uh, it's a problem when you, when you meet someone that uh, knows you in a different way, in a different name, you can, he can suddenly call you. You feel that you're going to die because it, it can be a big, a big uh, problem. Neo turned and walked away before the ambassador could recognize him. But in the next city he visited, the same thing. This time it was the director of El Al, the Israeli airline, another friend from back home. It was too much for Mio. He reminded himself to be on a constant state of alert, always anticipating the unexpected. He was gone from Sao Paulo for nearly a week. He had to look like an important businessman making deals all over the country. If he was going to convince Sukers, he was the real thing. I used my days in Brasilia and Bahia to rest and to gather my strength for what was to come next. Although almost two weeks had passed since I'd left my home and family, I knew that despite my successes so far, the most difficult part still lay ahead of me. It's important to remember that Mio had known people like the Butcher earlier in his life. He'd grown up in Germany during the rise of Hitler. Mio had seen something coming in Germany in the early 30s. He'd seen it in the faces of his German teachers and his classmates, and he'd left it behind. But his parents had stayed, and they'd never made it out. As I'd researched Mio's life, I'd wondered how he'd felt about that. If he'd ever felt guilty about leaving his mother and father behind, there was really nothing a teenage boy would have been able to do to help them. Nazi soldiers had come to his family's house and put his parents on the train to the death camps. Now he was getting to know a Nazi, being friendly, even drinking with him. I wondered how Mio felt about that. Here's Ged Shimran, the ex-Mossad agent who knew Mio well. After the war, he found himself alone in the world, or family. Hearing about the, the terrible fortune and destiny of the European Jewry, including his parents, and um, one can understand why uh, uh, running after Nazis for him was something more than a mission. The other Mossad agent I spoke to, Avner Avraham, agreed. He said that Mio kept his parents in his mind constantly. He actually dreamt about them during the mission. I met many of the Holocaust survivors from different places, and most of them cannot sleep at night. They have bad dreams almost every night. And he also used to have a bad dreams and a dream about his parents. So for him, is something that he, he cannot uh, forget and he cannot forgive. Neil told Gad Shimran that when he was given the mission in September 1964, to assassinate Herbert Zuckers, it was like reopening a book. The unfinished story of his parents and their fate during the war. There was, he felt, a final chapter to be written. When Mio returned to Sao Paulo following his business trip, he'd fixed the butcher in his sights. Now he needed to set the trap. 
Good Assassins, Hunting the Butcher is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by Stephen Tolte. Produced and directed by Scott Waxman and Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman and Mangesh Hatikadur. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. With the voices of Nick Afka Thomas, Omri Angle, Andrew Polk, Mindy Escobar Leantz, Steve Routman, and Stefan Rudnitsky. Theme music by Tyler Cash. Archival research by Adam Shapiro. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. 
What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. 